Welcome to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. Should renters get free legal services paid for by the city? Seattle is looking at spending your money to do just that. Plus, the way trials are conducted has changed significantly, and it could be permanent. But first, a conservative congressman from eastern Washington is getting a primary challenger from his right. Lauren Culp, the 2020 Republican candidate for governor in Washington state, now considering a run for Congress. This would be in the 4th District in eastern Washington, but the big question is, does he have a chance? Joining me now is Republican strategist Randy Peppel, who also provides a lot of analysis for us here at Como News. And I guess, uh, first off, I'll put that straightforward question to you. Does Lauren Culp have a chance should he decide to run? No, Lauren Culp has no chance to get elected in the 4th Congressional District. Uh, the, the district is well represented right now by Congressman Dan Newhouse, and Lauren Culp's presence in the race would only be a distraction and and maybe a way for him to siphon more money out of the pockets of uh, uh, his past supporters. The other thing that we've been hearing in eastern Washington from some of my sources is that this may be Dan Newhouse's last term, which may have led to him feeling more comfortable to vote to impeach. I think that Mr. Newhouse made the correct decision in his vote to impeach uh, in January, and I suspect he he runs for re-election. That vote will sit better with his constituents in uh, August of 2022 than it does today. However, if he has decided that uh, this is his last term in Congress, I think he'll go out uh, as uh, someone who stood his principles and uh, served his district well. But I suspect that uh, that decision won't be made for a while yet. But the 4th District, uh, having grown up there, and I, I was living there back when Jay Inslee was representing it, a Democrat, has since shifted not only to the right, but even further to the right in, in recent years. You can't see a Lauren Culp or a, a Clint Didier who has run several times there, or Brad Clippert getting elected there? I think that uh, you've seen the people of the 4th District speak in the past about fringe candidates like Clint Didier. They, they rejected him outright. Uh, multiple times. Uh, and I, Lauren Culp doesn't even probably get up to the stature of Clint Didier. So uh, he's a lightweight and just is trying to get his name uh, out in the media so that he can try to raise money off of people. Uh, he needs a job. And so right now he's uh, turning himself into a perpetual candidate uh, and hoping that that will pay the bills. You mentioned the name. Name recognition helps in politics, doesn't it? Name recognition absolutely uh, helps in politics, but not when it's negative name recognition like Lauren Culp has. I, you know, by this time next year, uh, he'll be a distant memory uh, for most people in Washington State, and the Fourth District will uh, undoubtedly have a uh, good campaign uh, for Congress. Whether Dan Newhouse is running for re-election or whether he has decided uh, by then to retire and let somebody else run. But uh, I don't think Lauren Culp uh, will be the candidate that is chosen by the people of the 4th District. To a more broader perspective, what do you make of the, the two districts in eastern Washington, the 4th and the 5th, which were at one time represented by both Democrats? You had Tom Foley and Jay Inslee, and since has shifted pretty far to the right. Why is that? The 4th and 5th District, uh, are have always been Republican districts in the state, or at least conservative districts. And, uh, you know, Jay Inslee was elected by accident uh, in 1992, served two years, was roundly defeated in 1994, and had to run back to the west side of the state. 
the only reason Tom Foley held on to the 5th District seat was he voted like a conservative Democrat. Uh, he voted as a pro-gun uh, Democrat. And it was only when he led the House in a series of gun control measures when he was Speaker that he lost that position, and it's been solidly Republican since. So, I mean, the two Eastern Washington districts that will remain after redistricting uh, will continue to be solidly Republican and will continue, I think, to send uh, the incumbents back, uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers and Dan Newhouse, as long as they want to be uh, serving in Congress. To Seattle politics, the Seattle City Council wants to give out free legal advice to renters. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, King County has been leading the nation in virtual court. And it starts with jury selection. Joining me now is Como's Matt Markovich. And the courts have been hit pretty hard during this pandemic. Jury trials, for the most part, suspended. But things are starting to shift somewhat back to normal. But jury selection is the latest challenge for the courts. And what's going on there, Matt? Well, uh, King County... Superior Court has been leading the country in terms of virtual court innovation. I mean, something to be proud of here locally. Um, they've been doing virtual trials since August, and and they've adopted new ways to well, get civil trials, not criminal trials, correct? No, including criminal, in cr- trials. criminal yeah, trials. So okay. they don't do as many, but. Since August, they came up with a way to do everything virtually over Zoom, specifically not not about Skype or Teams or anything like that. But jury selection is probably the most premier thing to talk about because now jurors may never have to leave the comfort of their own home, not just for jury selection, but to be a juror and sit at home and judge in a trial so you and have deliberate. A, a, the jury box would be virtual. Just total virtual jury box. So, um, so how, how did they come to this? How, how did they decide to do this? Well, they decided, let's see if we can make it work. And so if you go through the typical jury selection process, you get a, a summons in the mail that says, come on down to the courthouse. Well, they made an option now that if you have a phone or if you have a computer with equipped with Zoom, we can do it virtually. So on the date you're supposed to show up, you log in and... A judge sits there with the attorneys and how jury selection, or voir dire as they call it, you're asked several questions by the attorneys. But in this situation, it's all over a Zoom call, um, and the attorneys are watching, the judge is watching, and he's controlling everything. And his, we, we watched as it happened with uh, Judge Sean O'Donnell. It's really interesting. Rather unusual jury's instructions when it happens. Don't use virtual backgrounds. You can only unmute yourself when I tell you to, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, no distractions. You should be the only one in the room. All these little weird things that would happen like a normal Zoom call are now part of an official jury instruction for the court. But how can those be enforced? Because if you have the jury in person, the judge can prevent you from and and the bailiffs can prevent you from bringing a cell phone in and, and, you know, being distracted or, you know, well, the the judge is watching you. You know, and you have to have your camera on, you know, and he's controlling the microphone. Um, So he's watching every juror at that point. He's actually seeing every juror's face, maybe more so than he would in a court case as a as as a jury sits in the jury box. Uh, He can see the attorneys right in front of him. And so this uh, in King County is extra special because 
we've been chronicling all the violence that takes place outside the courthouse, jurors being attacked, uh, court employees, attorneys, witnesses in some cases being randomly attacked outside the courthouse. It's been a big issue for years now, but the court's now looking at, hey, this may be a permanent solution to get people on a jury. And when I spoke with the presiding judge, Jim Rogers, he said this is working phenomenally. They're getting better diversity in their jurors by doing it virtually. Now, how does this work? Well, specifically for civil trials, um, every civil trial, and there have been hundreds, more than 300 that the King County has done since August, have all been virtual. Everybody, the judge is the only, a judge of the bailiff, and if there's a, another clerk, a court clerk, and they're the only ones in the actual courtroom. Their only requirement is that the judge, just the judge, be on the bench. Everybody's been virtual. The attorneys are virtual. The uh, juries are virtual. Uh, witnesses are virtual. Only the judge sits there, and they've done more than 300. But then when it comes to criminal trials, it's a little bit uh, more difficult or more problematic because a person has a constitutional right to face their accuser in court. And that literally means face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So there's a debate right now, according to Judge Rogers, that does can a Zoom trial actually replace that requirement of facing somebody in court? The only way that King County has done criminal trials, and he, at the last count they've done eight, um, is for all parties to agree that the Zoom call is in fact, a way to face your accuser in court. Everybody has to agree. Then they'll do the whole criminal trial over Zoom. If anybody disagrees, then they're doing it the old-fashioned way, back in court. But then again, they have other ways to protect people, which is unusual too. Yeah, and, and I mean, let, let's go through some of the, the the perceived pluses and minuses of this. You, you say that they're getting uh, a much broader selection of people willing to participate in in the process, mm-hmm. being a you know a jury when they get mm-hmm. the jury summons. So many people have been you know dismissive of, of not wanting to be on a jury. You know, just, it's an inconvenience, all that. Personally, I'd love to be a part of it, but mm-hmm. then I'm a policy wonk. Yeah. But uh, but then I'm a, a member of the media, so I probably wouldn't be on any jury. That'd be kicked off pretty quickly. Uh, so you, you get a broader swath of people because it's easier to participate. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, how can... It seems to me it would be a lot harder in a criminal trial to sequester a jury if that's needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, in a, in a situation where you know the judge orders you, you can't look up. I think a sequestered like, uh, jury is totally different. Okay. I mean, you're going to have to have uh, everybody maybe in that situation in a hotel room on a computer where they're away from everybody. You yeah. know, if you wanted to go that far, but that's a little bit different. And no, and to my knowledge, we haven't had a situation or a trial where you needed to have a sequestered jury right now. Yeah, that I, but still, I mean, you know, part of it is not looking up, even in a non-sequestered case, you know, the jury is instructed to not look up anything about the case. You're that's only right. supposed to judge based on what is said and done in the courtroom. How can you enforce that when they're on Zoom? Well, that's that's part of the jury instructions that we witnessed that Judge Sean O'Donnell gave this to one particular jury selection pool. Um, you can't you can't be on the side on your computer while you're doing jury selection, looking up the case because you'll know stuff about the case because that's part of the part of the jury selection. You, he's preventing you from doing that now. Uh, other well, an order is one thing, but enforcing that's completely that's true. I mean, that's, I mean, but again, uh, Judge Rogers said. They're going to work. They're working out the bugs, and again, King County, according to him, and, and from what I've been able to read, 
they're way ahead of everybody in the country. In September, King County did 70 virtual trials. When they were just starting out, that's just King County. In the whole, that they did 70. In the whole month of September, the state of New York did one. Wow. So everybody's been looking at how King County has been handling this, and they're way ahead. And so they're still working the bugs out. But uh, Judge Rogers says that, you know, he thinks the future of juries, this is it. Because, one, people don't have to come downtown. They're less inconvenient. And particularly, like we were talking about, the diversity of the jury pool. And it's not just ethnic diversity he was talking about. It's income diversity. Because a lot of people who may have higher incomes, they they say, I don't want to do this. They come out with an excuse or whatever. He's saying that the diversity is is on all aspects, not just ethnic or cultural, but income levels as well. But, I mean, you could also make the argument that you're also excluding people that, say, don't have access to broadband but then those or people, the computer. But a summons is a summons. So if you do not have a computer or a phone and can't call in, you do have to come down to the courthouse. So they still have out. The courthouse has always been open, even though people think hey, it's been closed COVID. No, it's always been open. Jurors have been coming in. And for the people who do not have that, those abilities, they do come in. Or if a juror decides they don't want to do it over Zoom or cell phone, they can have the option of coming in and doing it in person as well. Interesting. So we'll have to see where this goes. Certainly, like everything else, uh, life has changed in the era of COVID. I just wish I had stock in Zoom at the moment. We talked about jury selection. What about in trial? Well, they do have in-person, primarily criminal trials. Not many, but that's what they've been doing since COVID outbreak in King County. And there they have new precautions, which I saw. They have new air filtration systems, a new air conditioning system, higher flows of air just for to, and more screening of uh, filters of the virus out. They have plexiglass everywhere between it's the a lot judge. of retrofitting downtown in, yes, the, in the yes. courthouse. But it's just been, you know, if you've ever been to a downtown courthouse, some of those courtrooms are huge. And they all have bench seating in the back where the spectators are. And then you have a traditional jury box where you have 12 chairs or maybe 14 chairs. Uh, but that's those chairs are not six feet apart. So what they've done now is in many courtrooms, they have the plexiglass separating everybody. But then they put the attorneys, the usually the attorneys for the state and the defense, and the defend uh, who's the defendant in the jury box separated. They've reconfirmed the jury box. And the jury is actually in the spectator area. They've taken out the benches. They put in chairs that are six feet apart. So the jury is facing the entire court at this time, uh, where they also can see monitors from, for w- remote witnessing. And if you're a witness, which is interesting, um, the, well, the court will supply N95 masks for everybody every day, fresh masks, everything like that. But if you're a witness, they have, you have to wear a special mask where you can the jury can see your, their face so that the jury can see the facial expressions of the witness, which are real important whether someone is telling the truth or not. So they are the only ones where you can actually see someone's lips moving is, is a witness. Well, you'd, you'd think that that would also apply to you know, the right of the accused to face their accuser. That's right. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, there's all sorts of constitutional issues, you know, as, as things are worked out here. But as you said, King County seems to be on the leading edge of this. Yeah, the only way that they're doing it right now is everyone has to agree. But I think Judge Rogers thinks there will be a case going down the line where that that, that will be challenged, you know, where uh, does Zoom really count, constitute as facing your accuser in court? 
Well, we'll have to see how that goes. The other thing what we've been talking about and that uh, you've been working on as of late is now the city council has passed yet another measure, this time uh, protecting renters, uh, is their plan, by giving them free legal counsel. What's going on there? So the Renters' Rights Committee of the council on Thursday passed out a committee a bill that the full council will hear on Monday uh, basically giving a free attorney to anyone who has had an eviction case filed against them and is being sued for back rent. So when it's at the point where the case is actually filed, that's when you can ask the city, hey, I need an attorney. And the caveat of all this is that it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you make a million dollars, uh, and you're being sued for back rent, you can get a free attorney from the city of Seattle. Wow. Uh, this, I mean, this this is, you know, goes back to, you know, constitutional rights again. You know, you have, I think it was Gideon versus Wainwright, if I'm to get real geeky about this, you have a right to an attorney, mm-hmm. and if you can't afford one, the government will pay for one. Does that apply in civil trials as well as criminal trials? I don't know. So, yes, it's a great question. Do you have a right to counsel if you're being sued in a civil matter? Because I owe you money, basically back rent, which is not a criminal offense. So the belief is that it is a matter of equity in terms of the members of the council who are bringing this up, primarily Shama Sawant. And uh, it's being co-sponsored by uh, Andrew Lewis, another council member, that that the landlords have an inherent advantage because they have it's a business. Whereas the person who's renting um, may be stuck because of financial problems. They can't make rent or whatever. I mean, that's a fair argument. I mean, it's, it, I mean, that's a legitimate statement. Yeah. So, so, but so the city has been for quite a while providing attorneys for people who are of lesser means who need an attorney to represent them for eviction purposes. So that's been going on for a while. It's the housing justice project. It's co-funded by the city, what takes this what this what makes this a little bit a step further is this idea that it's a free attorney for everybody so usually you had to show a, a means uh, test you know you couldn't afford one or you're indigent this wipes this out you don't have to show any of that. You I can mean, just this, ask. That, that seems odd, you know, coming from Shama Sawant, because she's the one who just constantly rails against the rich and that they shouldn't have benefits and the government shouldn't be subsidizing things like that. But this measure would allow that. Well, what they're following is two similar laws that are already in a place uh, and programs in, in effect in San Francisco and New York. And in the testimony today, there was a person from the Housing Justice Project who was part of the program in New York where they did have a means test. They still have a means test in those two cities. You just not everybody can get a free attorney. But he said that the means test in New York was so cumbersome, it took a large amount of time, a lot of money just to figure out whether you're eligible to get a free attorney. And it and it was and it prolonged the case. It you know, it it, it was a hindrance. He he testified. So it's better off to have it open up to everybody because you take out the delay factor. You just make it equal for everybody. Uh, And the stats show, they point to the stats, that of the people who um, had had needed an attorney, only 6% of the people who requested a free attorney were really, say, indigent or had a, a financial need to do that. Everybody else who could afford to have an attorney, they didn't ask for one or didn't apply for one in New York City. So it's a small amount of people, according to 
these people that are testifying today, or excuse me, Thursday at the hearing, small amount of people will actually ask for a free attorney. So the city is banking on that assumption. Now, the city of Seattle has 1,200 evictions annually on an average. And they figure of that... 1,200? 1,200. 1,200 evictions. That's it? I'm just reciting. Okay. I'm reciting what they're... They're testifying too. Have I? I haven't had time to okay. independently okay. No, verify that. I just it seemed low to me. I'll um, edit that out. So they're they're saying that say and then and based on that average, they figure and with about maybe you know six, seven, eight percent uh, asking for an attorney, they'll need about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year annually to support this program of free attorney for everybody. So where's that money coming from? Well, that's coming from your taxpayer <laughs> pocket, you know, um, and. But there's some also, it's a little confusing time right now because there's rental assistance money coming in from COVID from the federal government. Could that be used to pay for the attorneys? We, we don't know yet. Yeah. You know, so so there's it's a chance. To, I mean, fundamentally, the Seattle taxpayers on the hook for that, 750000 But this is going to abnormal year. They're t- predicting a tsunami of evictions after March 31st. Well, that's why they're kind of fast-tracking this, isn't it? That's right. They're, and so they want to have this ready to go as soon as that eviction moratorium ends, because they predict all these cases are going to flood the court for people who haven't been paying rent for months and months and months, and they've been somewhat protected by the eviction moratorium. They didn't have to. Um, so you're going to have all these cases flooding the court in April, and that's when, if it all goes well, and the council approves it on Monday, and then the mayor signs it, it will take place 30 days after the mayor signs it, which will put it in mid-April or so. So wow. right when the tsunami hits, there'll be all these attorneys ready to go. Wow. We'll have to see how that plays out. So Matt Markovich, thank you as always. You're welcome. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. And for more, be sure to check out our other shows, such as Como News This Week, Lifebeat with Marina Rockinger, and our hourly news updates. All are available at comonews.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Pogelip. Thank you for listening and have a good week.